Jesus Christ. No, no Jesus Christ here, man. It's an atheist show. Jesus only, only sweet Jesus on Christ. this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Recording in three, two. Hi, I'm Scott Marshall, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith in us. Coming at you from Dante's Inferno, this is Lift of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I used to work in a pet store. People would ask the matter how big I'd get, and if I had been dewormed. Joining me as usual is a team that are the reason Waldo is hiding. Uh, we'll find him eventually, guys. She is so eloquent that she can speak Braille, Nancy. Oh. <laughs> With all ten fingertips. <laughs> How many push-ups can she do? She can do all of them, Christina. So zero. <laughs> and she's a pacifist. Means she'll pass a fist right through your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, ladies, welcome back. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hope you had a great week. Uh, I didn't hear you. Hope you had a great week. Oh, yeah, always have a great week. It, Sometimes it, it's it a bad. Passable. Passable? Yeah, passable. Sometimes. Hot weather? It, uh, oh, speak God. of that horribleness. <laughs> it was really hot. It, it started out great with rain and clouds, and while I was working... You're I, the only one who likes rain. It was awesome, though, because I worked the beginning of the week when it was raining, and it was amazing, and then the day I got off is when it started you. getting hot, and I'm like, I'm just going to stay inside. <laughs> Well, there have to be some days for me. I mean, exactly. <laughs> all the days. We can't have all the days. It was a pretty mixed week. It started out with really bad days at work, and then it ended with, like, the best day at work. Hmm. So I got to has... build fans standing in front of fans. Ooh, That's nice. good, rather than the other way around. It's <laughs> yeah, always yeah. good to end on a, <laughs> on a, on a high note. Yes. Yeah. And today we'll be talking to Professor Jerry Coyne yeah! about free will. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be interesting. I'm so yeah, excited. looking forward to that. There's so many different opinions on it. I love it. But first, let's do a bit of chit chat. So uh, let's start with calamities, I guess. Doug Ford is canceling the sex education in Ontario. Why? <laughs> Why? Do you, do you th- I mean, I, I realize that people have a perfect right to be on the whatever political spectrum they want to be on. But do you think the people of Ontario really knew who they were no, voting no, for? No. What do you what do you think they wanted and they compared just want, to what they got? Well they just want an, an alternative to what they had. You know, they just wanted to teach the old government that apparently wasn't all that great a lesson, but now they just I think they bought way more than they can <laughs> they can afford. Yeah. I mean last week he he fired the the, the, uh, the chief scientist, scientist chief yeah. scientist. This year he's rolling back sex ed to 1998, which doesn't even include things about the internet or you know transgender anything. anything. No, like that, yeah. I mean it's just is, retro. You know, retro. is this something that teachers can still on their own like? 
take their own initiative and do with their classroom? Or is it like they are no longer allowed to talk about these I things? I don't know. I don't know. But this is from 1998. Isn't it you that posted that on Facebook? The program came in a floppy disk. <laughs> yeah, I think, no. there are, I think there are restrictions because I was uh, reading something about or listening to something about one of the teachers who was on her way to one of the meetings where they were going to discuss the new curriculum mm -hmm. And that was canceled. And so halfway through her trip, after arranging, you know, the babysitters and so forth, she canceled trip and had to go home. So I'm thinking it's restricted, or they would have allowed mm. these people to go ahead and, and uh, well, I maybe guess, not. I don't know. Just I guess, guess it's going to be make Ontario great again, back to 1950 yeah. with that guy. Uh, he also canceled a $100 million school repair fund. This uh, is so stupid. And, you know, just to give you an idea... <laughs> You don't need to repair schools, right? The Toronto school chair says they have $4 billion repair backlog. This is just Toronto. In the province, it's $15 billion backlog for 4,900 schools. Wow. So that $100 million is actually not a lot of money when you think about it, but he still canceled that. <laughs> so you know, yeah. in, in, in the states, when you have a governor of a state mm -hmm. that you feel has not fulfilled his duties or you're diametrically opposed to everything he's doing, they can recall. What do they do in Canada? Can you recall or start a start a recall petition? There, uh, there are some, I think it goes from province to province. It's different from province. There are some recall legislations, but it's usually difficult. It's like, remember when mm -hmm. they tried to recall right here in BC yeah. a couple of years ago, they tried to recall uh, was it a law or something like that. And it was very difficult. I think the th threshold was like 70% or something like that. Yeah. It was really, really hard to attain. It's going to be interesting to see if they get so frustrated with Doug Ford that they, you know, they want to do something to get rid of him, but they can't. He's there for, what, four years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, do Ontario. a lot of harm in four years. Yeah. Um, so, according to Time, Time Magazine, apparently there is a 1 billion firearms uh, in the world, and uh, 857 um, million of those are in civilian hands. And in America? <laughs> 393 million of those, which is 46%, are in the U.S. That's insane. Which, of course, the U.S. is 5% of the population of the world. So, yeah. so that, that percentage... The 300, is that including the American military? No, uh, no, 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 no. That's, uh, that, that's the civilian one. The civilian. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 393 million of those, which is 46%, are in the U.S. Wow. So, wow. And how many does Canada have? I know we have a lot of guns. Uh, it didn't say, uh, but apparently, uh, the, sticking with the U.S., this is more than the other top 25 countries combined. Yep. You and wonder why the U.S. has a gun problem? Inconceivable! Well. <laughs> yeah, well, duh. Duh. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, we got to talk about uh, Trump, of course. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> well, just briefly, briefly. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Let me take a deep breath. Okay, uh, picturing him with his hair on fire. No, no, just picture smiling. the baby blimp. Okay. Well, that's I what I wanted to talk about. Did you guys catch that? Did you, ca you guys catch the uh, the balloon? Yes. I love the balloon. It's amazing. And, it makes and, me so happy. <laughs> it was fun to watch, and there was uh, apparently a protest numbered in the 250,000 people protesting. Oh, I know. Protesting. It was wonderful. And it was joyous. There was yeah. costumes. There was signs. Oh, my gosh. You know they, they had the best chant going at one it time like it actually like it wasn't like one of those like it like was to music okay it was amazing it was it was like hey hey like trump 
why are you such a cunt basically (laughs) (laughs) i i this i don't know but i can't uh, seems to me that if i was an american the, the the English are showing you up at this point. You guys, yeah. the Americans should be protesting like that just about every day. Yeah, well, they they have been, on, but not on a continuing basis. And you know, nowhere near that. Had, yeah, besides that, balloon was just fabulous. Yeah, and I I think there should be some entrepreneurs that should make smaller versions of those. Yes. You know, like the, the, like like a foot by a, sticker, a two feet. But I wear a sticker. A baby just, sticker. Just a, f- a little b- Trump baby balloon that everybody can hold in their hand. Oh there. my <laughs> gosh, that would be a. Yeah. I, I wonder. If, like, in the States, you could get in trouble for that. No, probably no, not. It's not the freedom of speech. That's good. As long as you don't um, hit anybody with it, you're okay. Yes. <laughs> and there's this wonderful picture of the uh, NATO leaders, and they're all facing one way. Okay, and I'll try to visualize this in your mind, right? On on the uh, far right of the picture, it, they're like in two rows, but on the far right, you see a- Angela Merkel there. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, three quarters of the way through almost the other uh, left hand of the picture you have Trump and all the leaders are watching they're looking up in the sky in, uh, to the left heading to the left but Trump is looking up to the right what? yes he's, he's pointing completely differently than everybody else which of course says a thousand words right that picture says a thousand words but it's even better than one person went out there and photoshopped the little balloon <gasps> in Angela Merkel's oh. hands and Trump <laughs> is looking directly at the balloon she's holding above her head <laughs> And it's absolutely brilliant. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> it's it's good to still be able to have some fun with this. Yes, yeah. I, I don't know if I was an American. You know, I, I, even if I was a Trump supporter, I'm start, I'd start to think, why is the rest of the world really, really, you know, bashing us on this? Is like, maybe I need to revise my thoughts on this? No, no. I'm not they, saying you know, cave into the pressure of the the, the greater number. No, but they they think the rest of the world just really doesn't get it. Yeah, no, I. I think most Americans, I would say most Americans are like, yeah, Trump is Trump is not doing good right now. No, no, I, especially most with Americans, like the tariffs. No, and especially like when, once Trump goes after Canada, like yeah, most no. Americans are like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> my, most Americans do feel that way. the The problem is, is that the 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 power of the government happens to be with the Republicans and it's going to be up to them to change unless there's a complete civil revolution, which of course there's not going to be. Mm -hmm. But it is a difficult situation where you have people who, you know, who have some sense of humanity and common sense Mm -hmm. say this is intolerable and the government, the the leadership of the Republican Party saying we'll tolerate anything until we get our Supreme Court justice in place then maybe yeah. we'll think about doing something. Exactly. Maybe, but not likely. Um, we got to quickly talk also about uh, how do you guys feel about that uh, Thailand rescue? It made me oh. so happy. What, what a great story, right? Uh, yes. to, to finally, you know, it's a great ending. It's, it's kind of a shame that one person still died. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? A brave man, too. I, I hope that people can look at the man who did like because he gave the air he had yeah he gave too much to mm-hmm. the kids so he didn't have enough to get back yeah i hope and he's i hope people can like bury with honor yeah i'm trying to like think of the right words but like just look at this man who gave his life yeah for, <laughs> to save these kids fifa yeah. came out as well FIFA came out because these kids are soccer players. Yeah. yeah. A soccer team. FIFA came out and apparently uh, invited them as guests of honor for the next uh, 
good for for the cup and everything. Yeah. So that's awesome. Uh, that should be the, the coach. Is is twenty five years old? Wow! And he had lost his family when he was younger, mm-hmm. and so he devoted his life to children. So and these were essentially them. like almost his kids. Yeah, he was. A, he became a monk, and and that's how that's wow. his vehicle for for helping mm-hmm. other people. And then I think there was one of the kids, one of the fourteen year olds, that spoke English very well. And so you had one kid translating. Oh my gosh! And the, and the coach who was helping these kids with meditation and gave them his food mm. so that they would mm-hmm. be able to survive. Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole story of sacrificing for others mm-hmm. and, you know, putting others before yourself, it's, yeah. a, I, I think the film is being, you know, Planned it's already. in production as we speak, yeah. don't you? I, I think one of the things about this whole situation that really impacted me is, I was explaining earlier before the podcast, was that I was so pessimistic mm-hmm. with this whole scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, once I heard about this, I was like, well, they're probably dead. Like, they're dead. Like, yeah. nothing good is happening well, in the world. They're dead. And then, <laughs> the odds are they would have been dead, too. Well, yeah. yeah. And then and the, the incredible... Sorry to cut you off there. I do it everyone to everyone. Um, the incredible <laughs> thing is, like, they were able to pull this off and get everyone out, and there was only one man that died mm-hmm. in yeah. the whole situation. Yeah, and, even one of the kids. And more, looking more at the, the use of social media in raising awareness, because mm-hmm. without social media, these kids wouldn't have been saved because the world community wouldn't have come together because they wouldn't know that it was happening. Yeah, and one of the uh, one of the divers was from Langley. Really? About, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Which, which for the, for it's the our US, next town about, over. You know, 30, 40 kilometers from, from where we sit, but he was born and raised in Langley. Wow. Interesting. Wow. I did not know So that. it was a, it was a, it was, it was, a worldwide it was. effort. There yeah. were people from every corner of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. All the experts came out to help. And to be able to teach these kids to dive and to do all that in such a short amount of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. None of them knew how to swim and everything. It's a, it's a great story. It's going to mm-hmm. be one of those stories that they're going to turn into a movie in a couple of years for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, on a positive note, uh, tomorrow is July 15th. And for your, if you're a, a bit of an astronomer out there, um, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn are all going to be visible Ooh. in the night sky. Yay! Hey, we might actually have blue sky. I know. We might have a clear sky, guys. Well, get out of the city. That helps. I will be working. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you, uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly how to find them all because it would take too long to do that. Uh, but give you a bit of a tip. Um, Mercury is usually very difficult to find because it's usually so close to the sun. So as the sun set, it's going to be kind of right above it. And it usually when you, the, the, you see uh, guides in astronomy, they, they give you things like a, a five degrees off this. And you don't really know how to do, what does that mean, five degrees in the sky, right? So to give you an idea, if you're out there and, and how to measure degrees, okay, use your hand. For example, if you, use your, you raise your hand and you take out your, your pinky, that's one degree. So that gives you an idea. If you use three fingers, that is five degrees. The size of your fist, that's 10 degrees. So if you move like 10 degrees that way or this way. If you use a, like a devil horn sign there from your index to your pinky, that's 15 degrees. And if you use your pinky to your thumb, that's 25 degrees. Only problem is, whose size of hand is this measured on? Well, I mean, everybody's got a <laughs> fairly same size of hand. We're not talking about like Andre the Giant's hand here. but In general. In general. So, for example, if you do find... Uh, Jupiter, and they say, well, Saturn is going to be about 25 degrees to the east of it, then it gives you an idea mm-hmm. how to measure from one to, to the next. Yep. So, that's a little tip from us to you guys. Perfect. Moving on, my dear Nancy. 
Well, let's move back because our move top back. ten, our top ten has to do with heroic rescues, which we were just talking about. So we're we're sort of up to date and a little retro at the same time. You are so on these topics all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, when you're over two thousand years old, you know how to, <laughs> you know how to deal with these things. Right? <laughs> anyway, we'll go th- we'll go through some of the the uh, his- the ones in history mm-hmm. that um, if some of them you remember, maybe, um, and and some of them um, are way way back that we don't even remember they occurred. For instance, in 1891. There were some Pennsylvania coal miners, um, and this was a very, it's always been a hard profession, but in 1891, 18 workers were buried um, alive under a sea of water that rushed into the air, into the shaft, Ooh. and a hole was knocked into the bottom of an old mine. So five survivors were able to escape and make it to an upper chamber where they lived for 19 days. Wow. Yeah, and they stretched the contents of their dinner pails for six days, and when the food ran out, they they subsisted on lamp oil and sulfur-tainted water. Until Yeah. So they're, they covered it in the newspapers, but, you know, doesn't, but we're, we don't have it because there's no media. No, yeah, mind of us. But there have been, you know, spectacular re- rescues. Wow. Through the years, um, do you remember uh, NASA being uh, saving the the Hubble? Remember when the Hubble was in trouble, moving you know to the. Uh, yeah, the I think the orbit was decaying, wasn't it? Yeah, not, NASA had repaired the telescope four times for minor fixes, and then in 2009, a team of astronauts from the space shuttle the Atlantis made their way out to the failing telescope, and they used a giant arm-like device to yank it out of the orbit and um, put it in the cargo bay and then five spacewalks later it was released and back into space and it's still uh, still operating yeah. not the way it was but it's still going thanks to the the bravery you know of having a a, a, a rescue mm-hmm. in space at that point so Hubble has exciting. given us so much that, that satellite has paid for itself a thousand times over. Yeah. Um, in Haiti, um, they had a, a, seven, a 7.0 magnitude earthquake, and they found survivors um, on, on days 5, 7, and 11, and the world called that incredible. Um, but a lady named Darlene Etienne was alive after 15 days. Whoa. And so... Um, they, they described her perseverance to survive miraculous. She was dehydrated and a broken leg, but at 17 years old, she was healthy, and it was the French rescue workers that pulled her out of a house rubble. Um, then, uh, way, way, not way back, but in the Philippines, when they had the um, uh, death marches, the Bataan mm-hmm. death marches, um, they rescued a number of different soldiers. Um, by having an assault into the camp, and they uh, they rescued hundreds of prisoners of war back then, and that was recognized by Franklin D. Roosevelt, and it was made into a film, The Great Raid, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a story called Ghost Soldiers. So there's no doubt they're gonna they're gonna do the the uh, Thai rescue into a movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't think anybody would want to vote against doing that. I mean, that's actually going to occur. China, um, 
had a rescue on the eighth day. Uh, there, uh, there were some miners that were digging a new tunnel, and the old one filled with water, and it trapped 153 workers. That's a lot. And hopes absolutely faded, but rescue crews worked around the clock. And um, uh, from this was on March 28th, but on April 2nd, the work, rescue workers sent milk, glucose, and words of support, and they dropped. Uh, rafts in and they pulled out 115 from the 153, mostly in stable condition. So that was a really good one. Um, there have been, you know, several more in uh, Uruguay. They rescued um, 45 people after the Air Force Flight Number 571 crashed in the Andes Mountains. Mm. That would have been a good movie. Would have would have would have liked to see. Isn't that, that the one where they had that movie where they had to cannibalize each other? Um, actually, they come to th I'm reading a little bit more. I'm sorry. They did. They uh, they made a film in 1993 called Alive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Then there was a sunken set. Boy, these covered the gamut. Here we got a a uh, sunken submarine in 1939. Ooh. The USS Squalus sunk, and that was a brand new state-of-the-art submarine. It was conducting routine test drive. Um, Navy drive, Navy diver. Boy, the Navy divers have done miraculous <laughs> things and these miracles. Um, and he was an inventor of an escape breathing apparatus called the Momsen lung and they used a rescue bell um, and they brought 33 all but 33 men to the uh, safety um, in uh, 2002 again in Pennsylvania the miners were rescued they were 240 feet underground wow. holy smokes and they were down there at 77 uh, hours but they again sunk some shafts and uh, so Wait, when did that happen again so the, pardon when did that happen again that was in 2002 I think I remember that one yeah but I think you mean the you shaft, were born I was yeah <laughs> I existed <laughs> Sinking shafts, I guess, has a long history. I was like seven, but <laughs> of a success. And I, didn't they? Didn't they? They started to think that maybe that would work with the Thai group, but mm. at, at the end, they they certainly it, it wasn't going to work. And then one that um, maybe oh no, you guys are too young to to remember this one. It was 1987 and it was one of the greatest rescues of all time for baby Jessica in yeah, Midland, I, Texas. I, 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 even if you weren't alive then, you've heard about it. You, everybody heard, heard about, about baby it. Jessica yeah. and it was on TV and everybody was just frozen in space and you know in front of the TV mm -hmm. until they, they rescued her and they, they, finally, they finally got her um, after I think it was like two and a half days. The interesting thing is, um, when when that happened, they uh, they had a fundraiser. There there wasn't uh, the internet, you yeah, know, at that time. But they a had a fundraiser funding. and raised a million dollars in her name and. In a few years, I think we're almost up to the point that she's going to actually claim that million dollars. Wow. She's now married and she has a small son. So Aww. after all that time, they put it in trust for her. So she's about to get a million bucks <laughs> from that fundraiser. Which I didn't know about the fundraiser part. I thought that was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then I guess the one that we're all going to remember because it was only a couple of years ago was the Miracle on the Hudson with Chelsea mm. Sullenberger and, you know, his being able to land that plane and yes. got everybody out. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they've learned a lot about how to rescue people, but I think this last one uh, with the with the boys in in that cave mm-hmm. and what they had to overcome to me that, that's the mo- thank goodness it all turned out yes, you know absolutely. so well the, the most thrilling rescue i think in the, of any that i've been able to read mm-hmm. thank goodness they're all alive yeah yeah it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see a uh, uh, people uh, putting aside all their differences when yeah. a situation like that arises and yeah. Yeah, it gives and, me hope for a species. It really well, does. you know, and, and as Christina was saying before, when you have all of these boys and they all have different levels of intellect and, you know, they all have their fears and so forth, but to talk all of them into the face mask and you're going to be okay and this is going to be a big adventure, yeah. they, you know, to get all yeah. of those little personalities out of there just um, yeah. fabulous. It was either, for them, it's either that or suffocate to death, so it's not always a hard decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, would you be able to, to put a face mask on for the first time and, what was it, six hours? Yes, through, and, six uh, hours? easily. Would you do it? 100%. If oh. it was that or stay in a cave, yeah, I'd be like, I'd be the first yeah. one. I'm like, get me yeah. out of here, please. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I have to admit, being trapped in their situation is probably about as nightmarish as it gets for me. I really, really, I'm, I have a bit of claustrophobia when it comes to stuff like yeah. that. So you wouldn't have gone I, into the cave in the first place. Oh, I probably I would have died outside the cave. Yeah, you and I would be sitting outside having our picnic, waiting for everybody to come <laughs> well, out. Well, you know, I did, when I went to Mexico, I did go into a cave like that uh, underground, but it, it took... It took some guts for me to do it because I'm, I must admit you're in the complete darkness. You got water up to your to your face, and the, the, at some point I, I'm I'm walking through, and I'm I'm saying the water is up to my lips, and I'm blown f- through the water to push it away because the ceiling I'm hitting the ceiling with no. my head. Why Why would you do that? Well, why? That was the way out. <laughs> Why would you go in? <laughs> well, at first you go in. It's a huge cave, right? So you, you go in with a group. It's a huge cave. It's safe. You got a guide and everything. Can't you just go back out the way you came in? Yeah, we could. But then he wanted to, us to go through the what they call the throat of the cave. No. And I lo- I'm looking at that place. <laughs> so funny because we, we pause there for a second. I'm looking at that place that really kind of disappears into darkness. And I'm looking at the guy beside me. He's like, geez, it's a good thing we're not going that way. And huh. we ended up going huh. that way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's a question for you. So that was a challenge because it's something that you really, you know, you were there before you realized I wouldn't have done this in the first place if I knew I was going to end up here. But you survived and you did it. When you have other challenges in your life, do you say to yourself, Kevin, you know, I survived that cave incident, so I know I'm going to be able to put everything I got and and make this episode in my life turn out okay too well um not quite but i do say something similar uh whenever i find myself challenged by something that i'm not sure about myself i usually say well you know a thousand people have done this before you why not you right you know you're thinking oh i don't know whether it's uh getting uh, your driver's license or any anything stupid like that where you're not sure about yourself you you start doubting yourself at some point and you start saying you know a million people have done this before i so what's the, what's the, how come i can't do it of course i can't so so you don't look at your own accomplishments as a foundation for moving ahead you'd no, rather think that everyone else I, can do it so then i can exactly do it? yeah I compete with others instead of competing with myself and on that aspect. Yeah. 
on that. It's aspect. more of a competitive thought in your mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Interesting. It's, it's and, and then you have the the kids in Thailand where it's like, oh, no one's done this before me. Yeah. <laughs> but for them, it's a bit different because you know, as it's a life and where, death where I where I went, of course, the, the ceiling was low and the water was high, but I had plenty of space to move around me. These kids are crawling uh-huh. through yeah. on the. I was like that. That to me. <laughs> Talking about crawling through caves. So when I was younger, I was probably about four. Um, and my parents brought us uh. cave diving, not diving where we were underwater, but like cave exploring. Mm-hmm. And we, so we were going through this cave as a family, so two parents with how many kids? I think there was nine of us, eight. No. Yeah. I think it was eight or nine of us, eight, nine kids walking through this cave. And it got to a point where the adults couldn't go any farther and they let Two of my sisters who were, I believe, oh, how old were they? Like 11 and like nine go farther in the cave without them to the point where these children are like squeezing through like, oh, tight spaces oh. and climbing over things until until they got to a point where it was water and they couldn't go any farther. And they're like, okay, I guess we should turn around. <laughs> see, see, that's what that, that part of there, that squeezing through and getting stuck there. That's my nightmare. Yeah. yeah, as a bigger person, I'm like, that's not going to happen. I'm going to get my butt stuck in that. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to stay away from that. Yeah, I, I feel the same way so, uh-huh. because I'm not as tiny as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't never choose to go into a cave nowadays unless it was like big. Well, yeah. Well, the, the cave that I went through it was uh, the Rio Secreto in uh, in uh, in Mexico. It was mm-hmm. actually like that, right? It starts huge at first, yeah. right? It's a huge cave. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a smaller spot, spot of cave. Well, at some point, you kind of follow the group, and you know the guide, and you've done this a thousand times yeah. before too, right? It's like okay, what are the odds? But I, I'm telling you, at some point, you're so deep on the ground that as soon as you turn off the light on top of your head it's there, pitch black. it's pitch black, yeah. you can't see your hand in front of you, and all you can hear is like water drip, and you're thinking this is like a perfect setting for a Stephen King movie, <laughs> you know, it's like I can hear the growl of the creature now yep. <laughs> <laughs> alright moving on is this, do we have another brilliant moment? we have something like that <laughs> brought to you by religion, we've got some I thought this week I would do something a little bit different um, if everyone remembers Cat Care, our favorite sushi lady. Oh, sushi lady. Swoosh. She's back. Swooshy lady. She, not quite. Uh, she has a website. And I was I was getting bored when I was looking for stories. And I found came across her website. And there's a frequently asked questions section. Oh. Yeah. oh hold on. This is going to get good. <laughs> so, so. Okay. We have to, like, guess how they're going to answer the question. Okay. So okay. It'll, it'll be like a little game. So these are people asking her these questions or asking God these questions through her. Oh, asking God through um, her. It seems like they're a little bit about what heaven is like and things along that line. And I, I just thought, love it how God always needs a spokesperson. I know, I know. right? <laughs> and I, just, I thought I would share some of them with you because okay. they brought me a little bit of joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there an art easel and a T-Rex in heaven? An oh. art easel? Yes, like where you put the painting on to And paint a T-Rex? On. And a T-Rex. In How heaven. the hell did these people align these two things together? It was a child asking. I mean, it was. If, if you believe in heaven, then everything after that would seem like a yes. Well, my question is, what if one person is obsessed with T-Rexes and that is their heaven, but another person is terrified by them? How how does that work? Is there like 
Well, it, but it, the T Rex is in heaven, so it has to be a good. It's a good T Rex. It's a but, vegetarian. <laughs> but it doesn't like. But what like what if like one person is terrified of dogs, but another person like I couldn't imagine heaven without dogs. That's just asinine. It couldn't exist. If there was a heaven, there would be dogs. But some people are terrified of dogs, so that wouldn't be heaven for them. Well, do do maybe, dogs just not exist? They in wouldn't that be in the dog heaven? part of heaven. Just, just, or so maybe, is, maybe it, it, is heaven segregated? Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, of course it is. Just, you'll, you'll kind of start getting glimpses of that. Okay. You got to go to Jew heaven or Christian oh heaven. Oh, my God. I don't want black well, no, people then in my heaven. heaven and then Episcopal heaven. Oh, yeah. All right. And Catholic heaven. <laughs> so the answer to that question, yes, to both questions. Yay. Since I saw art galleries there, I am certain they would have easels to paint on. Art galleries Also. There are representations of all animals, of all animal life that God originally created. So dinosaurs, including the T-Rex, can be seen in the park area of heaven. They are so tame that you can actually <laughs> ride on them. Does, does that mean there's bot flies infesting all. people's eyes? That would be unpleasant, and there's no unpleasantness in heaven. But they're year. animals. Well, I completely forgot the, the easy argument that if God created, then it should be accepted in heaven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, See, but what if, what about like jiggers in your feet? You have to. Why did you have to go there? <laughs> See, the things in heaven do not appear as they do on earth. They are all good in heaven, and none of them hurt you. That is the gist I got. From See, this. I always thought when I was a Christian, I always thought it was a question of, because I, I asked that very question you were asking. You know, if you're in heaven and some of the things you like scare other people, I always thought it was your perception. Like for example, you see you're you're in your heaven, you see T Rex the way you like to see it, but people that are afraid of T Rex, they might see it as a big plush animal or something. Oh, oh I can see that. Yeah. Your perception is different depending on the person, right? Either it also explains, you know, how they say when you arrive to heaven. I mean, do you arrive in the state you do you exactly. die, or do you arrive in your prime? Because fear and like phobias are directly linked to your amygdala. Since you're a spirit, do you have an amygdala? No. Are you afraid of anything? But 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 heaven has never been portrayed as a place where anything disturbing happens. <clears throat> Whatever you were in in life, I guess the goodness has allowed you entree to heaven so everything there has you know all of the the wonderful good qualities and and none of the ones that would be disturbing to others yeah, it's okay. so simple when you think of it as a fairy tale but but there's still the problem of perception <laughs> there too right because for example god arrives here and strikes us down for doing this podcast in the next few minutes yeah totally. so we arrive in heaven or hell and and you when you get to heaven, Nancy, you uh, you're gonna portray yourself as you in your prime, maybe, right? But when I arrive in heaven, I'm not gonna recognize Nancy in her prime because I didn't know her then, right? So I'm gonna see Nancy the way I know you now. But in your mind and the way you see yourself, you're gonna see Nancy as the way you want Nancy to be. With all due respect, but our souls are the ones that will be connected, not any of our real life. <laughs> You know, attributes and experiences. It's our souls. You believe in souls. Is my soul a redhead? I mean, you can justify anything <laughs> in this argument. Anything is Because I'm not actually a redhead, but you I really love can. being a redhead. Yeah. Would my soul be a redhead? That's a good question. Absolutely. <laughs> and you'd have nothing but the best hairstylist up there. And, and besides, ooh, wouldn't ooh, a ooh. T Rex be a plush T Rex rather than a. I'd rather have the real thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather. Because they have feathers. 
they do have hair salons in heaven, and they color your hair not with chemicals but with light, and it takes seconds. Is that one of the questions? <laughs> it's not one of the ones I put, but it's one of the ones I read. Oh my gosh, someone asked that. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so more wisdom from Kip from uh, Swishy Lady. Lady. All right, is there a theme park? Of course. A theme park? A Isn't theme park. a whole theme park oh. by itself? I want a rickety wooden roller coaster theme park. <laughs> All right. I am delighted you asked. Yes, there is a fantastic amusement park, which I mentioned in the book. In that place, there is a huge roller coaster called The Rush. There are some normal rides, but there are also supernatural rides that will blow you away. One of the amusements is to learn to fly like Superman. I, I have an issue, though, because the one good thing about roller coasters is it triggers that fear factor in your amygdala. If, if you don't have an amygdala... How are you getting a rush of endorphins? I'm, I'm going to perform an amygdalectomy on this <laughs> and, and just eliminate no, any of I'm these serious. negative thoughts. If, if there's no fear in heaven, how can you enjoy roller coasters and rides? Because it's that adrenaline rush of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Well, first of all, <laughs> it gives you is heaven that joy. That, is heaven that boring that you actually need a ride at a roller coaster there? I mean, this when, is heaven. When you're there for that? eternity... Yes, it yeah, gets boring. Even the even the roller coaster would get <laughs> oh, boring totally. after a while. <laughs> after three gajillion years, it gets boring. <laughs> Except in atheist heaven, which is a topic we should get into some. But other what time. what if in heaven you just can't get bored? <laughs> what if the ability to be bored is not there? Hmm. <laughs> See now, with the rest of the questions, like even the ones I didn't write, you start to get kind of. A visual of how things are. How in she heaven. pictures heaven. Yeah, and it's, there's different areas that have like different things. Like there's one that has like all these waterfalls, and it smells like rain, and it sounds like rain. And if you really love the rain, you so can that's go where there. See, <laughs> so if it was really well, heaven, it would smell like bacon. Well, Kirsten, <laughs> I think I think you need unless to, unless you're you in the to, Muslim part of heaven. <laughs> I think you need to write Swishy later to ask her, do you get bored in heaven? And then let's get her answer. That would be a very, very good question. That's a good question. I yeah. think so. Right, but moving on. Are we going to be clothed? No. <laughs> yes. We have a gown of salvation and a robe of righteousness. For corporate or united gatherings. But we will also have a wardrobe of many different tunic tops and pants because there are so many things to do that you cannot do in a gown. Of salvation. What does that even look like? And a robe of righteousness. It, it gives you a plus three on your roll dice. <laughs> can you pick the colors? You think you can? I mean, huh? I hope not. They don't like. Hey, I, I can, don't want a robe of righteousness. Can we have rainbow? <laughs> yeah, we can. I hope so. I rainbow robe, and glitter. Yeah. I don't want a robe of righteousness in olive green. It's just not my color. Could I do one? Do you think we could do one in fuchsia? It's potentially, green. potentially. It's a robe and, of righteousness by Versace. It's totally good. <laughs> I, I, I said something where we can get some money. We should make heaven the board game. Go fund me. Amazing. Oh my gosh, but like atheist version. <laughs> no, um, Kickstarter. Oh my gosh, we should do you know, that. I, st- should. I, I still want to do my atheist version of Clue. It's so okay. easy because all you have to do is who killed God, but then you have Stephen Hawkins with the microscope in the laboratory. Richard Dawkins. Or Richard Dawkins with the telescope and the conservatory. We need to do this. Bill <laughs> Nye. That'd be so fun. It would be. We need a list. We need to start writing this stuff down, we guys. We should make games. We should. <laughs> Atheist uh, games. I love board games. All right. 
Are there people on other planets and other Earths in the universe? Oh. I Swishy think they're going to say no. Oh, I don't think she'll say yes. I think she... Oh, you know what? She is very wooey. She might say yes. She'll say yes, I think. No. Oh, I was right at first. I should have gone with my gut. There are no other life forms in the whole universe except us humans. She's an idiot. Who were born into this Earth. However, when we are living on the new Earth, as mentioned in Revelations, we will be able to do things we never could before. I think such Europa as travel to other planets because God will allow fun and exciting things to be created on them for us to enjoy while visiting. Uh, wow. She totally has no concept of how wide and how large the universe is, obviously. Or, or how yeah. or or how plentiful Goldilocks planets are. Or there or like there's there's like two moons around Saturn that were like, oh yeah, they they probably they might. They have like some of the building blocks to have life, so you know, let's check that out. Or the fact that they recently found some biological uh, organic uh, compounds on Mars absolutely proving that there was life on Mars at some point. That's awesome. I mean, it's the only life form. Maybe she means the only intelligent life form, but even then. Yeah. I so want a swishy lady t-shirt, <laughs> and I want it with her with her gown of salvation and robe of righteousness. <gasps> I wonder if it's like the emperor's new clothes. She's naked? Yeah, where you think you have these clothing, but everyone else just like, hey. Or like that episode of Doctor Who where they went to church? Yes, that was amazing. Oh. <sighs> If everything on Earth now is a glimpse of heaven, and if everything on Earth was first an idea that came from heaven, does that mean Adam and Eve learned to drive a car and fly planes once they went into heaven? Yes. 100%. I think, like, Eve is totally, like, Snapchatting about how annoying Adam is. (laughs) And how, like, clingy and needy he is. And she's just like, God... There's so many more guys up here. <laughs> or girls. In my day. <laughs> I guess he can do anything he wants to as long as it's okay. Minus one rib, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Because I think her perception of heaven might be like the timeless, like there is no time in heaven, so everything exists at once. Well, there's I'm- no temperature in heaven. True. Yeah. So. I, I, I think I think it's going to be yes. Adam's on a fishing trip with Jesus. Right <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with a yes on that one. They have certainly adapted to heaven's intelligence level and way of living. But you don't have to just drive a car. You can fly them too. Or fly an ordinary plane. You get a star cruiser that uses light as fuel. A star cruiser. As they also have space buses, transport kiosks, where you travel from one side of heaven to another on beams of light. Wait, 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 wait. So you can fly in space in heaven? Because there's the star cruiser. That implies you're flying through stars. Does that mean heaven encompasses space? Like some space? According to her, heaven does public transportation there. (laughs) So heaven is socialist? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! Oh, swishy lady, what will we do without I you? I love her so much. <laughs> I do too. I just, I, I, I want to. I just wait. Want, does I, that mean that I we just want to die and go to heaven with swishy lady? Can we? Can we create Starfleet in heaven? <laughs> can we please? <laughs> That would be amazing. Oh, Kirsten, oh. that was that was brilliant. That really was. That was just wonderful. Oh, thank, thank you, Kirsten. Thank you. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be with Professor Jerry Coyne, Yay. and we'll be talking about free will. So, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in it? I don't. No, that's okay. We'll ask to, the professor. To a very specific We'll ask what the professor point. thinks. 
So stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. In a world torn apart by a lack of reason... Or and I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. It was this point of mystery, and in gets invoked God. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. When you're gone for a day, on your All right, joining us online is none other than our favorite evolutionaries, biologist Dr. Jerry Coyne. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Dr. Coyne, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Good to be here, thanks. <laughs> thank you so much, man. He's <laughs> Do- been on here before. He has, the second time. Dr. Uh, Coyne, I had the immense pleasure of meeting you once in person at Imaginal Religion, uh, which uh, you left a... Great impression. I brought you a uh, bottle of Crown Royal as a good Canadian ambassador. Ah, yeah, and that got consumed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. No, no problem. No problem. That's, that's Canadian, by the way, isn't it? It is. It is. It's Canadian Ray. So we don't have to worry about the price going up. <laughs> <laughs> Do- Dr. Coyne, you're very well known uh, in Chicago and uh, south of the 49th. You might not be as well known up north here. Would you be so kind to give us a quick bio on Jerry Coyne? Well, I'm, uh, career-wise, I was trained and practiced as an evolutionary geneticist doing um, genetic analysis of the origin of species for about 35 years, most of my career. So that's what I'm known for 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 professionally, but I also sort of write popular books and uh, articles in magazines, and that's sort of a second career which has gotten me embroiled in various controversies about religion and free will, which I guess is the topic of today's discussion. Um, and beyond that, I'm just, you know, an average guy who does genetics. So. <laughs> 
an average guy who does genetics. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wish I could do genetics. I, I love. Don't think there's such evolution. a thing as an average guy who does genetics. You know, I you know, do genetics, it's, it's you... just wonderful when you reduce it to that one simple <laughs> sentence. There goes 35 years of your life down the drain in one simple sentence. I enjoyed it. It's a bit like Einstein saying, oh, I'm just an average guy who discovered E equals MC squared. You know, I love you. <laughs> you're, you're, how humble you are, Dr. Coin. <laughs> uh, Dr. Coin, uh, like we, uh, like you were saying in your intro there, you've, uh, you um, ruffled quite some feathers and sparked a lot of debate when you came out and you uh, postulated that you think that we don't have free will. Would you be so kind to elaborate on that, sir? Well, yeah, uh, I agree. That is my position. I don't think we have free will, um, but I have to explain what people mean by free will because there's a lot of different definitions. And I'm taking the definition of free will that is the one accepted by religionists, but also by the average person. You know, um, surveys in four countries where they ask people, you know, what they meant by free will, the vast majority of people from like 70 to 85 percent said it means that if in a given situation, with all the molecules in the universe arrayed as they are, um, you could do only one thing. And if that situation were obtained again with every parameter exactly the same, you would do exactly the same thing again. In other words, your actions are determined by the laws of physics, and you don't really have a choice in the sense of being able to change your actions based on some kind of nebulous, dualistic mentality. So that's the classical definition of free will. It's the one that religious people use, like Christians, when they say, well, you can choose or not choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That assumes you have the ability to make that choice, to do something other than what you did. And um, that's the kind of free will that people think uh, obtains, and that's the kind of free will that I vehemently reject. Hmm. Because the, the, to me, it sounds to me like if you if you if you're correct in in your hypothesis there that we don't actually have free will, wouldn't that have some really really strong ramification on what it means uh, for our society? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a number of um, implications of that view. That, um, one of which, of course, is that our notion of agency is an illusion when we go into a restaurant, because that's the classic scenario that philosophers use. You go into a restaurant, look at the menu, and you think you've chosen one thing over another. Well, you really haven't. That choice was probably determined sometime before you walked into the restaurant. It could have been determined even after you were in the restaurant and you saw like a juicy steak or something, but it was still determined by the laws of physics that led up to the moment in which you make the choice. That's, I mean, that's the thing that people don't like about it, that your sense of agency is particularly illusory. In terms of societal impacts, it has all kinds of ones. Um, the most consequential being, I think, the way the judicial system works, because at least in America, Probably not so much in Canada. We treat criminals as if they made the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there are extenuating circumstances, like you're mentally ill, you're beaten as a kid, then the courts will take that into consideration and, and reduce your sentence or say you were incapacitated or you really couldn't make a choice. But that's predicated on the idea that you could have made a choice if you were of sound mind. In fact, all of us are incapacitated in, in some sense, in that when we pull the trigger of a gun or hit somebody, there's nothing else we could have done at that moment. So, you know, the implications of that for how we treat criminals, and I still think we need to incarcerate or punish criminals, that's not one of the consequences mm -hmm. of disbelieving in free will. 
And we still have to deal with people that violate the law, but we should treat them in different ways. I mean, I could get into that more deeply if you wish, um, but that's, that's the most you know important thing that we need to take away from it. We can still go on with our illusions that we can choose a ham sandwich versus a cheese sandwich. I mean, it doesn't affect anything, but the way we treat criminals and the way we, you know, um, hold people morally responsible for those acts, those are consequential. Because mm-hmm. also with the judiciary system, when you don't believe in the common understanding of free, like free will, the outcomes you want from the like putting someone in jail is so different. Because like in America, it's like okay, you're here to be punished, but in Canada, we have a lot more like rehabilitation mm-hmm. and trying to find out why this person did it, help change their behavior to help re, um, re help them get back into society as a productive citizen. Yeah, there's actually three reasons. I mean, this is one of the common misconceptions of people who criticize determinists like me, that we think every the jail should be empty, but there's three reasons why people still need to be incarcerated. The first is rehabilitation, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And America does a really horrible job of that. The rate of recidivism, you know, the rate of recommitting crime is huge, like 80%, 75%. So we aren't really rehabilitating people by how we treat them, because we don't rehab them in prison. We just throw them in with criminals that make them worse. Um, another reason is to remove them from society. Somebody that's a killer or, you know, a psychopath has to be taken out of society for the good of society. So removal is another reason. And then setting an example for other people um, is another reason. You know, you can't, if you don't see people punished for their actions, then you'll go ahead and do bad stuff. But the one reason we shouldn't punish people, which is what you put your finger on, is... Um, for uh, retribution, retributive purposes, because you deserve it to be punished. I mean, that makes no sense at all if you are a determinist, um, because people don't really deserve anything. (laughs) Society deserves things, but not individuals, because they don't make a choice. Okay, so so so, Doctor Coin. Um, what you might not know is uh, Nancy here is more of a part of a group. She's also an assassin for hire. <laughs> and, and so, what you're saying is the fact that she hasn't killed me yet basically means that she had no choice in that process. Yeah, basically, the laws of physics have been such as that. First of all, nobody has paid her to kill you. Yeah, that's that's uh, true. And nobody dislikes you enough to want to do that. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, I doubt she's probably killed anybody, which probably speaks to her <laughs> character. And, of course, your character is formed by a combination of your genes and your environments, both of which have to obey the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so um, I, I, I'm, I'm having some, I'm, I'm kind of confused here as what you mean by you say when you say the laws of physics have predetermined yeah. uh, the, the, the choice here. Could you maybe uh, elaborate on that? Well, um. Yeah, there's a little bit of a hitch in that, but basically we're made of molecules. Mm-hmm. Our brains are made of molecules, and our behaviors emanate from our brains. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, everything that comes out of our brains, which is our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, are the consequences of the laws of physics that are, that are operating in the molecules in our brain. And those molecules have formed by themselves a process called evolution, which itself has to obey the laws of physics. So, given that we're material creatures living in a material world, I guess as Madonna would say, then, you know, we have to conform to the laws of physics. Now, there is one out, which is quantum mechanics, which shows that on a very minute level, 
levels of like electrons and things. There is pure indeterminism, where you know you cannot, even if you had perfect knowledge, you could not predict what an electron was going to do, or when a piece of uranium would, what atom would next decay. But the, you know, if that's going on in our brains, and we don't know if it is, that doesn't give you any will. It just means there's a random physical thing in there that might affect your behaviors. But you know, the Free will people think that you have an agency which can actually make a choice which is independent of the laws of physics, that you can make things other than what you did. And to say that is like saying you could drop a pool ball from the top of a, a tower and, you know, one time it would go down and another time you could will it to go up just with your mind. Because if you can affect the way you behave with your mind, that's the equivalent of affecting any material object with your mind. Do, do you think one of the biggest differences between people who think there is free will and not is the belief in a, like a soul there's definitely a correlation mm-hmm. because free will is an inherent part of the abrahamic religions yeah. you know i mean you you make a choice whether or not to accept jesus as your savior if you're a muslim you make a choice as to whether you're going to worship allah and how you behave and stuff like that also with judaism so you know Religion hardly has any meaning at all unless you accept the fact that, which is a false fact, I mean, it's it's just an illusion that you can choose differently from what you do, that you can behave morally rather than immorally. And, and there's people who aren't necessarily religious who are still believe, because like, I've, I've quite a few sisters who aren't super religious, but they still believe in like something inside of yourself that is connected to like outside of yourself as in, like, this greater energy of the world. Yeah, I mean, most people are, they call them dualists, people yeah. like that. You know, your brain is independent to some extent of the material. Yeah, yeah, your brain can somehow, inter- your will, whatever that is, can somehow affect your body. So most people, regardless of whether they're religious or not, are, you know, um, people who believe in this dualistic form of free will. Um, now, we could get into this later, but there are philosophers who think that free will doesn't really mean that. It means something else. I think that's a scam. It's just a redefinition of free will, so in a way that allows us to have some form of free will. Mm-hmm. Because these philosophers think that if we don't think we have agency, we're going to become animals, criminals. You know? mm. And that's the same argument that religious people use for God. You know, if we, don't, if we atheists don't believe in God, what reason is there to act morally? You know, that's the argument that's often made against us. And, of course, there's counter-arguments, one of the most powerful of which is just, say, Scandinavia. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where they don't believe in God, but it's much more moral than the United States. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> hmm. uh, That's but most people, yeah, most people are dualists, um, but, uh, but especially religious people. Because mm-hmm. dualism goes with the belief that you have moral responsibility. And religion without moral responsibility hardly means anything. So I guess, I guess the idea, the notion of free will, essentially arose from the um, uh, the illusion of individuality, because all of us seem so different. There, therefore, we must have some kind of uh, out uh, outside influence agency on our choices. Well, yeah, it comes. It's the illusion of agency. There's two big illusions. One of which is, you know, um, us as agents that we are an eye sitting in our brain somewhere. And that's correlated with the illusion of will. You know, you could have, um, you could have the notion of an I without the notion of a free will. But they're so intimately connected that they're both they come as a package. Mm-hmm. So, and why we have this 
you know, I don't know. I mean, it could be an epiphenomenon of the way our brains evolved to be so complex, or, and this is my view, natural selection could have instilled in us the false belief that we could actually make choices. And there are reasons why it could have done that, you know. Mm -hmm. Hmm. What, what would those reasons be? Well, I, I don't know what they are exactly. Um, I could think of some. For example, <clears throat> sorry, if you're, if all of a sudden you feel your arm shaking, you know, violently, um, you want to know whether you've decided to make that shake or whether somebody else has grabbed hold of your arm and is shaking it. That makes a big difference in how you're going to behave, you know, in the early human evolution. Like maybe a tiger's got your arm or maybe you're doing it. And so the idea that you can choose to do that versus, you know, um, not choose to do that is, is important, you know. So we would get an idea that we actually would do this out of some immaterial force in our brain. And that's one reason. I mean, there's a whole list of possibilities. Another one is, for example, the illusion of agency is important if you grow up as a social being in a social milieu, as our earliest ancestors were, in small bands of, say, 15 to 25 individuals. It's maybe important to you to think that you can actually treat somebody this way versus that, or even more important, to think that they're treating you this way versus that. Because if you think that they can choose how to treat you, A versus B, that makes a difference in how that society runs. And you can make an argument that society will run more smoothly if everybody has the illusion, although it evolves on the individual level, that if everybody has the illusion that the other person is choosing how to treat them or not, mm. versus being robots, which is what we are. But yeah. that, that makes perfect sense because, in, in, in a sense, uh, the, uh, the fact that we're individual uh, brings a, an air of uniqueness and if you bring an air of uniqueness, then it's uh, it's uh, the preservation of life becomes that much more important. Yeah, and the way you regard other people, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may have been important in early human evolution to have retributive justice because we didn't have courts then, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody hurts you, you know, you got to hurt them back. And that's the way to make things harmonious. If somebody treats you nicely... You treat them nice back, but how could you do that unless you think that they had a choice on how to treat you or not? You know, mm -hmm. well they didn't, but you know that kind of—that's a very elementary form of the kind of justice system we have today. It's based on retribution, but it still has the effect of punishing transgressors, kicking them out of society, setting examples—all the good things of justice that we want. So, you know, that could be one of the. Byproducts, but the fact is, you know, we don't even know what neurological correlates go with our illusion of agency. We don't know, you know, we know that certain injuries in the brain, for example, take away your notion of agency. You can actually give people or remove pe from people the notion of agency by stimulating parts of their brain, and that's one reason why we think that free will is an illusion because we can create it on demand simply yeah. by giving people chemicals or electrical stimuli. Mm. Uh, so. Um, that's that's you know, one of the many arguments against free will, that we can mimic it or take it away mm -hmm. by simple mechanical or chemical stimuli in our brains. Uh, Dr. Coyne, some people would uh, uh, go against your position saying essentially that although we are a composition of molecules, we are also bigger than the sum of our molecules. Um, is there a possibility that maybe we haven't really found what gives us free will if there is such a thing well what you're saying is a possibility that's been rejected by science which is um the, the 
fact that reductionism does not apply. So what you're saying is there's something that happens when you put a lot of molecules together that cannot be extrapolated from those collations of molecules. That there's some novel thing that occurs, that, you know, that could not be consistent with what's going on down below. But physicists have rejected that form of anti-reductionism for centuries now. Um, so, you know, when you say that that possibility could be there, what you're saying is that, well, all these physicists who hold this as one of the tenets of their science are wrong. Hmm. We don't know of any physical process that cannot be, that is not absolutely consistent with what's going on all the way down to the level of the atoms and molecules that make up um, that system. Hmm. Okay. But as a as a paid assassin, and I decide even without pay that I I'm going to kill Kevin just for the fun of it, because that choice has been predetermined for one reason or another. He can talk me out of it, so that my choice is altered not to kill him. Is that is, is yeah? That but see, it? whether or not he talks you tries to talk you out of it is itself determined by Kevin's personality and his background, and the fact that evolution has instilled in him, as in all of us, the wish that we don't want to die. And the, whether or not you're talked out of it depends, again, on your own personality, which is based on the laws of physics. So, you know, I mean, it gets messy because there's this infinite regress. Yes, mm -hmm. you can change your mind because of outside influences, but that doesn't mean that you have free will. It just means that there are physical forces that impinge upon our brain that can alter our behavior. And we know this well. I mean, love is one of those things. I mean, it's always called chemistry, right? You can meet somebody, all of a sudden you're behaving like a, you know, a teenager again. <laughs> that doesn't mean that, you know, You've had free will to fall in love. It just means that some physical force, some configuration of either behavior or somebody's facial features or pulchritude has affected your chemistry in a way that's affected your brain and your emotions. So, I mean, it's a mess, but, I mean, there's no alternative. Mm -hmm. Because if you believe in science, then you believe in physics. And if you believe in physics, then you have to believe in determinism. I mean, that's the ultimate argument against free will, that it that the notion of free will in the dualistic sense requires you to reject everything that scientists know. Wow. Oh, please don't kill me, Nancy. No. <laughs> we can talk around no, it. No, I think, I, I, I think we'll it's sort of like cookies. whether it's stimulating my brain or the, or the chemistry or the fact that Kevin is predetermined in a certain way, and I go along with it. I, I think we. I, I think Did we'll. You just we'll, say I'm predetermined. Yeah, we'll let him. We'll let him live at least till the broadcast is over. Are you saying I'm predetermined to stimulate you? Is that what you said? Yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> if you like a stimulate. Well, you're you're talking me out of killing you is like a probe in my brain lighting up an area that says don't don't mm -hmm. kill. Hmm. I yeah, think I think that's what Dr. Coyne is saying. Because there yeah, also might be things you could say that would make her more likely to kill, kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I could stick an electrode in her brain, because you can do this in animals, and turn them vicious if you stimulate the right part. You know, They would do things that they would not normally do if they were stimulated. Likewise, I mean, a Ouija board is a good example of where people don't think they have for, you know what i don't know if you know if they have ouija boards so they have them uh, anymore these days oh, yeah oh, I, sure. I see them regularly in game stores they're now in the board game section yeah so that's i mean the people put their hands on the things and it moves around and it spells out words and people think well i didn't move it that way it just <laughs> spells out words by itself but what's happening there is that um you are moving this thing but you don't think you are mm -hmm. so you know the the idea that you do not have agency there is an illusion or you can do things to people um, to make them think 
that they willed something that it wasn't willed. You can stimulate the brain, for example, of a patient in, a, in an operating room when they're conscious, and all of a sudden they'll wave their arm in the air. And you'll ask him, well, why did you do that? And the guy will confabulate. He'll say, well, I was just waving at that nurse over there. But in reality, he's just making up uh, the fact that he had an agency when he didn't because you're stimulating the part of the brain that made him move his right arm. So that's an example of how you know our notion of agency might really work. It might be a post facto rationalization or confabulation of things that have already been decided in our brain. And I should add here just very briefly that there are experiments now where you can predict by doing brain scans what choices people can make before they're conscious of having chosen them. That's and that is a very powerful argument against free will. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, are these experiments happening in the major universities in the U.S., I'm assuming? Yeah, they're widely accepted by, you know, scientists. For example, um, you can ask a person, you can give them a series of numbers and ask them to d decide whether to add or subtract them and then to mark the moment where they make that decision. And you can do all this without having anything recorded, just having them in their brains. And then they say, okay, I decided to add at time X. But if you do this experiment enough times, you can see the signal in the brain that for, and it differs from person to person that connotes addition versus subtraction. And you can see that that signal arises anywhere between 7 and 10 seconds before the person actually is conscious of having said, I'm going to add or subtract them. So it's already been determined, you know, and you're, you're just acting on impulses that have arisen, have bubbled up from your subconscious, and you think you've made that choice. That's so cool. But, yeah, I mean, there's lots of experiments that show this. Um, people don't like them because people don't like the idea that they don't have free will. I mean, it's I always say it's harder to convince an atheist that they don't have free will than it is to convince an evangelical Christian that evolution is true. Wow, that's a, that's a tall order there. <laughs> I mean, I've changed a lot of minds about evolution, not as many as I'd like, because once you're a believer, you know, you tend to reject evolution, but... You know, it's very hard for me to change somebody's mind who believes in the dualistic form of free will and convince them that they really don't have agency, that it, they're just... It's really interesting because when I... Because I've only been an atheist for about five, four or five years. And once I started understanding what evolution is, because I was also a young earth creationist. <laughs> so when, once I like actually started looking into evolution and realized that... I was just like the atoms creating me and the muscles and like um, synapses and all of that was me. Like it was super easy to be like, oh yeah, no, okay. Like it's, there's no separate me that's kind of like the little puppet master. Like I, I am just me, everything, my, my toe getting stubbed, sending, sending signals to my head is me. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're just a confabulation in the same way that free will is. But yeah, you're, you're lucky, because you realize that quite easily, but a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, when I first lectured on free will, and actually this was at the Imagine No Religion conference, I'm not sure that's the one where I met yet, but um, a guy came up to me afterwards, he's a big guy, and an imposing guy, he's probably like 6'5", and I'm just 5'8". He towered over me, and he said, you know what, I'm a jazz musician, I'm a saxophonist. And part of my job is to play solos, and I improvise those solos. I make them up on the spot. Are you trying to tell me that I have no choice about what notes I play when I'm making these solos? <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. And the guy got really, really angry at me <laughs> because really? he thought that I was impugning his talent, which his talent, which he thought was this free choice about which notes to play. And things got escalated. Fortunately, Richard Dawkins, who's very 
you know, conciliatory and kind, stepped in and tried to placate this guy. But, you know, he wouldn't be placated. He just thought that if I took away his notion or his illusion of choice, that that was taking away his livelihood, his self-image, and God knows what else. Well, that's what we always say. Never miss with a Canadian jazz player, obviously. <laughs> well, you don't know if he was Canadian. Hey, he was an imaginal religion. Well, that's he might have come yeah, up from he America. Might have come up. Yeah, he, might have come up. <laughs> uh, he so, was an American. Yeah, see, Canadians are much more polite about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, experience. So, so, so Doctor Coin, um, when Christina was saying that when she she became an atheist four or five years ago. Uh, and my first thing that went through my mind is, is then that means that she was always an atheist. But at some point, does, does, is this what is it, this means that she was always an mm. atheist and she actually discovered it? No, and when no, she was no, a creationist, she I, was kind of faking it. I, I definitely believed in God. Well, it was it was through conversations I had with another non-religious person that it helped trigger my brain into like realizing that. God wasn't real. I'm, I'm just trying to make the link between uh, free will here or lack of free will and being convinced of something. Yeah, see, that's one of the, Christine is absolutely right. I mean, I, 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 you're a really good advocate for uh, determinism. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's a misconception of people. One of the many misconceptions about determinism that that you cannot change what you think well you can't change it voluntarily but your behavior and your actions can be changed by external influences right i mean when you take drugs your whole perception of the world changes right so yeah. if you didn't take the drug if somebody didn't slip lsd into your drink which again is determined whether or not they do that then you wouldn't do that if you take a dog and you kick it eventually that dog's going to be afraid to come around mm -hmm. you you know so that's just the effect of your behavior on the brains of another animal and, of course, whether or not you kick that dog, you have to realize, is also determined. So it's all, you know, comes down to the laws of physics. But mm -hmm. to think that determinism means that everything is unchangeable um, in the sense, well, everything is unchangeable, except for the quantum effects that obtain on a micro level. Everything is unchangeable, but what we perceive as somebody's personality can be altered by external stimuli. So um, that's perfectly within the laws of physics to happen. It's just that those external stimuli are themselves determined. But once they impinge on your brain, then all of a sudden you're going to, you know, maybe, maybe look like a different person to the people before you. So it's perfectly, as Christina said, it's perfectly within determinism to believe in God and go to church and be an evangelical Christian. And yet, mm -hmm. laws of physics have determined that at some point something's going to happen to you where you're going to abandon all that yeah. and become an atheist. And you, know? and you can look at it in our society right now. With a lot of people, like 10, 15 years ago, there was way more homophobic people because it was when L the LGBT community started being more vocal and people, your regular neighbor started coming out, people had that external stimuli change them because they started associating being LGBTQ with just regular normal people. Mm. Yeah, so if, if people didn't start coming out, then that wouldn't change. Yeah, and then you have to ask yourself, well, why do people start coming out? Because, of course, that's determined, too. Exactly, yeah. Steve Pinker discusses that in his book, uh, um, well, I'm now in the, first, the one before that, Better Angels of Our Nature. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, what's happening to the world in the LBT, GQ, I get the initials wrong. But the, <laughs> There's quite a few before, variations. 
it's part of the yeah it's part of the moral improvement of society which i really do think is happening and which steve documents quite well he imputes that at the end of his book why is this happening and there's other reasons for that for example transportation you get to know people that are different from you and you discover that they're not so different after all and so you become more sympathetic to them or you have to trade with them and to trade with somebody you have to you know have a mutual respect and exchange there's a printing press where you learn about other people and things like this and all this increase in understanding and admixture is itself a result of evolution of our species which was probably determined you know mm -hmm. i mean at some point when our brain got complex enough then we have all these epiphenomena coming out like printing presses and bicycles and everything and steve thinks that part of the sequelae of those inventions is the moral improvement of society and that leads to the respect for lgbtq people and them coming out and then society becoming better in terms of respecting people more so you know fascinating mm -hmm. fascinating so so dr coin if you are correct uh, in 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 your postulation there what does that mean for the future of our society? What does that mean? That's, what, are you, what are your predictions that's going to happen as far as uh, maybe the social sciences or how uh, the interaction between all of us, um, even even a judicial system? What do you think is going to happen? Well, let me correct you first when you say if I am correct. I would correct <laughs> no, okay, of course, of course. I have to say I am correct. <laughs> I have to be correct because science is correct and, I'm, and determinism is a consequence of science. But putting that aside... Um, what's going to happen is what's happening now. Um, science is making advances as we find out more and more about the world. And part of that is neuroscience, you know, mm -hmm. and part of the advances is not only neuroscience, but an improvement in human morality that comes with the inventions that humans have made that are byproduct of that. So as we learn more about the fact that people are not really morally responsible, as we learn more about the, uh, our ability to predict what somebody's going to do before they even know what they're going to do, that is going to have, should have, and it already does in the more enlightened countries like Scandinavia, have an influence on how we treat other people, and especially with terms of reward and punishment. Now, we still want to praise people who do good things because it makes them do more good things, mm -hmm. even though they're not responsible for having done good, those good things. And we still need to punish people who do bad things because uh, for re to rehabilitate them, remove them from society, and to serve as deterrence. Um, ideally... We would adopt the kind of justice system that they have in Norway, which, although I don't know if the Norwegians predicated it on determinists, I doubt that the Norwegians said, okay, we're all determinists now, we're going to yeah. construct a judicial system along these lines, but that's the way it is constructed. So Anders Breivik, that guy who killed 50 kids mm -hmm. with a gun on an island, his, his sentence is 25 years. That's the highest sentence you can get in Norway. Um, and at the end of that time, they evaluate him psychologically to see if he's rehabilitated or not. And if he is, they let him out. If he's not, another five years. Mm -hmm. Then they reevaluate. Re I mean, this is the humane way that you should do this. You should see if somebody's rehabilitated. Exactly. They also, they don't treat him like an animal. He has a comfortable prison cell. He can't, go, he can't get out of it, but he's got a, you know, a, a steermaster. He can make his own food. He's got television. You know, that's humane. You don't treat people like animals by throwing them in filthy cells where they get beat up by their roommates. That's no way to reform people or anything like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, that's the biggest improvement I think that can be made in society um, is the recognition that we need to treat people differently that do bad things. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, that's going to only make our society better. The rate of recidiv recidivism in Norway, by the way, is something like 10%. Yeah, 
super and low. Compared to like 70 to 80 percent in the United States. So, you know, that's a good thing. Maybe yeah. they're doing something right over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there are other there are other Those things. Dirty but, socialists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, that's, you know, that's an atheistic society. It's basically a scientifically oriented society. And it's one of the most the Scandinavian countries are some of the most moral societies in the world. Mm. Proves two things that you don't have to have God to be moral, but also that you don't have to have retributive justice to be moral. The ultimate form of retributive justice, by the way, is the death penalty. Yeah, there's no reason to kill somebody if you're a determinist, it doesn't solve anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's been proved that it's not even a deterrent. Yeah, no, it's not a deterrent, and it costs a lot more, yeah. and at least in the United States, to to kill somebody than it does to keep him in prison for life without parole. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so. That's okay. We have our own personal assassin here, so we yeah. can always send Nancy out to grab someone. <laughs> Dr. Coyne, thank you so much for explaining free will to us today. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, if people want to know more about you and or, and or your books, your fantastic books, by the way, where can they find you? Yeah, I have a website called Why Evolution is True. It's all one word run together. Whyevolutionistrue.com and you can just Google that, or you can just put my name, and, and it'll come up almost automatically in Google. So that's probably the best way to find me. My two books are, why popular books are Why Evolution is True, which is the evidence for evolution, and a more recent book called Faith versus Fact, um, Why Science and Religion are Incompatible. So. Fantastic. Dr. Corn, are we going to have the pleasure of seeing you up here in Canada eventually on the, down the road there? Yeah, I don't know if the Imagine No Religion conferences have disbanded. I don't think there is one scheduled for this coming summer. No, there isn't. I, th I think I think you and I need to go talk to Bill and uh, try to convince him to... Yeah, I mean, it was an enormous effort by Bill and his wife, and I'm immensely grateful for them. But I can see why, after all these years, they'd want to, you know, bail or, or put it in somebody else's hands. But, you know, nobody else would be willing to do that kind of work. But, yeah. <laughs> I love Canada. I want to come up there again, and I will. Escape I Trump. <laughs> well, I don't know whether we explain this or let you know before, but we're very close to Vancouver. So when you choose, and when it's predetermined that your choice is that you're coming to Vancouver, we're, we will love having you here and being able to host, host your visit a little bit. We'd love to have the chance to do that. Well, that's very nice of you. I appreciate it. I can't tell you when, but it's already been determined by laws of physics. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're predetermined to buy you a drink for sure. Yes. That's fine. I'm predetermined to order a beer probably. <laughs> <laughs> We've got lots of good Canadian beer, so everything is in sync. Yeah, he's used to American beer. He's, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. Especially Vancouver, we have a ton of craft beer. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we drink American alcohol to sober up over here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Dr. Coyne, thank you so much for all this. But before I let you go, i got to have you say, Hi, I'm Jerry Coyne, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Jerry Coyne, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Dr. <laughs> Jerry Coyne Such on free will. Oh, that's food for thought. I know. That's fascinating. Oh, I love the man. I think he's a fantastic yeah. guest, mm -hmm. first of all. And... So if I understand correctly, and, and, and see if see if I do, I'm still pleading for you not to kill me. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Don't worry, with that. we're we're we'll for, help. You know, for, <laughs> right, for right now, to help her? <laughs> not kill you. What what we the choices that we make are predetermined, mm -hmm. but they can be altered by external <laughs> stimulus but, of but one kind or another, because of, so that we can take a different pathway mm -hmm. because of that so external So we, we have several predetermined influence. choices. But, but the thing is, those, those external 
influences are also predetermined so, in themselves. Yeah. So we have several right. predetermined outcomes. Right. One way here, sorry to cut you off here, Nancy. One way I kind of wrapped my brain around it, and I'm still kind of working on that. Yeah, um, same here. <laughs> is if you look at, for example, one of my favorite games is Mass Effect. And I'm going to go a little bit nerdy into video games here. Oh, boy. But you can make choices, and those choices that you make affect what happens in the game. But of course, being a game, everything is already predetermined in what happens. So no matter how you have like choice A, B, or C, no matter what you choose and what path you follow, the, everything's already predetermined as to what leads to what. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. And as Jerry was saying, it, 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 kidding it a little bit, but, but the truth is that we are robots. And, yeah. and that once you go down a predetermined pathway, but make an alternate choice, it's still predetermined but, which one yeah, you're but the going thing to do. Is, so we can change our behavior, which means that rehabilitation works scientifically. Mm, but it, it's not that in, say, the game where you can, like, okay, there's three different choices I can make. What, what I think what he was saying is that even the choice you make yeah. of those three options isn't a choice. Like, the one you're going exactly. to choose... Right. The outside factor is what determines is, its choice, yeah. quote-unquote. Yeah. And, and, like, say... say I'm driving mm-hmm. and someone cuts me off. There are several different things I can do, but depending on like say say I've just watched like videos of like car crashes or and like if I'm like a naturally like nice person, have I had breakfast that morning? Did I get a good sleep? Have I had my coffee? Like all those different things impact the choices I'll make and if if I didn't get a good sleep, I might like get mad at that person and but the fact I got a good sleep is predetermined and like I might I might have worked the day before and that is an, uh, something that was like predetermined so like it all um domino effects backwards like in things that have just they've happened and none of them were choices because they were affected by previous things and those previous things were affected by previous things and it literally goes back to like degradation like the start of life right and and to use a, a really basic um example you'd still be a Christian if there wasn't a possibility of your making another well, if, choice. Well, if I had if I had never talked to my sister about, if I had never had those conversations right. with my sister, it is very likely, unless there were other external stimulants that I engaged with that were enough to change my belief. You would have turned into yeah, a Muslim. No, I, I, exactly. I, I think I go along with, with Jerry's hypothesis what, and what what changed me during the broadcast was that his hypothesis takes into effect. It takes into account that you can change your behavior. One hundred percent. You can change your thinking, yeah. and if you decide to go along with the and external it's, it's stimulants at the time because the external stimulants that will change your behavior right. are in themselves. Because like if you born if you're born in can if you're born in America. And you, like, are, say you lived in a house with lead and you had a bad school career, so, and you didn't have, like, good role models and you get incarcerated, that system isn't going to re, like, help you change your behavior. But if you're born in Scandinavia, or in, say, Sweden, and you have, life leads you to committing a crime and you go to jail that system is designed to 
look at your behavior and help you change it. Yeah, and then that brings up an interesting question as to whether or not people have more receptive synapses than others so that they And that's where biology comes in. But that's going to be for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, ladies, and thank you to our audience for being with us today. You can follow us on leftofvalley.com. You can follow us on... Twitter at LETV Podcast on Facebook. You can send us an email at left at valley at outlook.com. Send your complaints or your ransoms to Nancy on the third floor. <laughs> now, now that I'm no longer a paid assassin, it's safe to send me contrary uh, messages and, and we have the comments. predetermined to talk her out of being an right. assassin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next week, we have our old friend Eli Yay! Bosnick. Oh. And you know what? He told me that also there will be a guest appearance by none other than the 45th President of the United States, Donald Mark. J. Trump. Uh-oh. So. Shall we get our balloons ready? <laughs> yes. On the 20th, we'll be talking to Dr. Ben Davis about junk science. And in August, we'll be talking to Anthony McNabasco about street epistemology. That'll be fun. We'll also be talking to um, our old friend Michael Sparks is coming back to talk politics Yay! with us. I'm excited. And we'll be talking <laughs> to a YouTuber called Godless Cranium. And somewhere in there we'll also have our interview with Seth Andrews and also an interview with Stephen Woodford who is also of Rationality Rules. Ooh, channel. I love that channel. Yes. It's amazing. It's such a good channel. It's, it's absolutely. They're great guys. So anyway, lots coming up on the agenda as usual. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, today is Pride Day. Yeah. yeah. So uh, enjoy it in Abbotsford. Have fun. Go see uh, and encourage the LGBT. Mm-hmm. And those they go through a lot. And you're predetermined to enjoy Harry Potter, so go read it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. Bye. Call it faith and understand